and welcome to the latest episode of Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and for this episode I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Amanda Lee Falkenberg. Amanda's latest album is The Moon Symphony and what you're listening to now is the first movement, Celestial Tug of War. I'm very much looking forward to my conversation with Amanda and I hope you enjoy listening to it. joining me for my podcast for harmonious world i'm very grateful it's my honor thank you for having having me and the my moons on your show yeah so talk to me about the moon symphony because it's an absolutely stunning piece of music and of course you recorded it with the lso and london voices so how did it all happen well, um, I mean, I say this a lot because five years down the road after the conception, um, it could appear to someone who's been introduced to this project, you know, relatively later in, in the piece. You know, you might have thought I'd sat there with butcher paper and figured out the plan and NASA scientists and astronauts and, you know, and all the science and, and um, absolutely didn't start like any of that. It was just simply seeing more moons. I was in the middle of a piano concerto, um, also inspired by our moon, called Crossing of the Crescent Moon, and I was almost finished and I just thought it was it's an abstract work for obviously piano and orchestra. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to do a little bit of research on crescent moons to see if there's, you know, something I can just sort of just enjoy thinking about in the last two minutes I had left of composing this score and looking at ancient symbolism and its relevance. And, and two hours into my research, I stumbled across an article that said 10 of the weirdest moons of our solar system. And I just took my breath away. I thought, oh, my goodness, there's more moons I could be writing for. And um, it was literally like a, a lightning bolt that went through my system. I was just looking at these moons and I instantly felt like I was sort of like defending them because they weren't weird to me at all. They were absolutely wonderful. And the first thing like instantly that came to me was these moons need music and these moons need emotion. And that was it. Um, and then I said about my project and then I thought, gosh, I've got to figure out how many moons I was going to write 10. And I said to my husband, well, that's a bit too much. Let's just, <laughs> let's settle on maybe six or something. So um, yeah. And then I shortlisted the moons and, and that's really how the project began. Wow. And, why record it at the with the LSO? I mean, why not? But 
Well, dream big or go home. And um, obviously they're one of the most incredible um, orchestras walking the planet um, yeah. and having the dream team of that orchestra with Marinol Sop. And yeah. um, it was actually going to be in Abbey Road Studios as well. But because COVID restrictions were still around, we couldn't get the 60 Voice Choir and the orchestra in that one room. That's okay. Um, we found a way around it, um, which I think is going is, is yielded a better better recording anyway because we've got separation um but yeah so uh that um you know good on mario de Sa. he's been on this journey like four or five years with me um seeing i was sharing with him the vision way back when and trying to align the diaries of marin Sop and lso is obviously no <laughs> no easy feat but it, we um yeah so we were just having you know um in conversation for, for five years um about how we were going to get all this to happen simultaneously and yeah so um that's lso story in in it um yeah. there's there's more to all of that obviously uh there's a, a big covid story there as well which is another whole um chapter in this conversation if we need to go there but yes so the dream team yes um so talk me through the various movements of the of the suite of the symphony because they're all very different. They all have a very different texture and a very different momentum, if you like. And, you know, hearing you say that is just it really brings so much joy creatively to my heart and head hearing that because that, you know, it's so easy to get samey-samey when you're looking at some of the characteristics of these moons. And I made a really poured a lot of um, mindful intention when I was uh casting or doing my casting call on these moons I guess you could say um, I was really mindful about looking at their distinct worlds and making sure that creatively musically I could separate their stories um, in a very creative way to give them their own you know personality if you like um, so I'm really um, I'm really pleased to hear you say that and yeah so it was definitely first and foremost when I shortlisted and to start off with six um it was based on aesthetics. It was based on literally the terrains, the the colours, the the, um, the the moonscapes. Really, um, that's all I had to really sort of guide my initial decisions about what I wanted to hang my hat on creatively and musically. And once I'd settled on those six moons. Um, I then elected the first one that I would start to compose, and it's actually Europa. It's not Io that most people might think it was actually Europa because it was probably the most about that moon that um, was trending because, of course, NASA is sending a spacecraft, um, big flagship spacecraft in 2024 to investigate this world. And so that, that sort of was material that was coming up in my research that I just felt, okay, I'm just going to start with this moon because there seems to be a lot of, of things that I could get going on here. But uh, I quickly realised in the research process uh, that, whoa, there's a fair bit of science going on too. So rather than just focus on aesthetics, um, which I was only going to have a choir and maybe just a, a wordless boy choir, um, sorry, an orchestra and a wordless boy choir, initially I was, was just going to go after that vibe. But then when I started seeing the science that was embedded in these worlds and what these space probes had been able to collect, I just thought, oh, my gosh, there is an opportunity that I cannot ignore here and I thought, gosh, if I got a choir to sing the science, it's going to give it far more relevance. It's going to give it so much more outreach because there's words there that 
you know, audience don't have to second guess the programmatic elements. It's being sung by libretto. And obviously that compounded my job as a as an artist, but I'm like, you do what you need to do, basically. And so, and I just, I got quite excited about the fact that, you know, there was another dimension that I could truly add to this project. That, And I'm a teacher at heart, so of course I'm always looking at angles of um, cross-collaborating and, you know, joining as many multi-dimensions as possible. I just think that's just thrilling experience for anyone any concert goer you know you look at the ballet world of music and costumes and scenery and libretto and it's just a gorgeous immersive experience and I thought gosh I, I would love to try and replicate that in this this project that I'm I'm trying to formulate here and that's when it, I came across some of the inconsistencies with my research and it was obviously starting to bother me being a teacher and I'm like well who do I believe here and I turned to my husband I'm like right I need to consult a moon specialist. It wasn't a scientist. It was just a moon specialist. And so um, there was a particular person that I kept coming across and, and he was, it was almost like a character. He'd be dressed up in like Eskimo gear and talking to people about this moon Europa. And I'm like, I really like the vibe of this person. I, and so I went in and researched where he was from and I'm like, oh gosh, he's at NASA. He's at NASA JPL. And and I'm like, well, I'm just going to email him and, and see if he would be able to have a few moments with me just talking about, you know, what is actual fact, um, what's going on here with this world and this moon. And, and, and so I sent off this email to him, not thinking at all he would respond because these people are obviously super busy and it was one of these emails that you just type into and you're never sure whether they're going to actually receive it or not. Um, but seven days later, he contacted me to say my project sounded really interesting and be happy to Skype. And so, yes, I had a, a lovely, lively conversation. He was talking about magnetometers and SLS launches and I was talking about pizzicato and strings and harps. And, <laughs> and so it was really interesting. And I remember him saying to me towards the end of that, that conversation, he said, Amanda, I think the scientists would be really interested in what you're doing. And I said, Really? And he said, oh, yes, they would be. And then one thing led to another and, and I got introduced to the likes of Linda Spilko, who's lead scientist for Cassini Mission and, and so forth. So that's how the science element sort of infiltrated this, this um, project, if you like, um, which is a big piece uh, when you look back on, on the libretto and, and the huge amount of research that I applied before the music component. Yes, and that link between science and music has always been fascinating to those of us on either side and those in the middle because there's a lot about music that you can't explain and there's a lot about it that that is physics and all the rest of it and it's it's just a fascinating area isn't it that that place where we where music and science meet it's just fascinating. It, it absolutely is and 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 to my point I've, the reason why I'm here in London is because we just had two massive events at Imperial College of London um, for Key Stage 3 um, students and Key Stage uh, 5 students um, at Imperial College, Great Hall. And um, it was a pilot, it was like a launching of, of, my, of my outreach series called Luna, Learning Under New Artistic Regimes. And um, so I developed, I'm developing this program to cross-pollinate these two worlds. And I think more than, the other thing that I'm excited about is how music, the role that music can play, not just from an emotional perspective and a, and a sound world, but 
what I'm finding is that now the libretto and at least introducing how at least I presented it to the audience um, last Friday was on, on because obviously science has driven the whole creative process, but I felt what happened at the end of that evening when we had the, the Q&A, the questions that came up from the students, I, the, the platform that this Moon Symphony now represents is, is like a stimulation ground for conversation. And I think that's just one dimension that could be explored in terms of having it firmly sitting on centre stage with science to then, you know, activate their minds and curiosities and imaginations. And then, yes, I mean, the libretto's there sort of finessed in a way that I wanted to put a theatrical lens on, on, on how I was transferring the science back into the symphony because obviously, you know, you wanted to have a poetic spin. You don't want to be too, you know, sciencey, sciencey. But that's where this outreach program, Luna, comes into the picture because now what we do is we look at a word and, like, lifting the bonnet of a car underneath there's all this nitty-gritty science that can come through. That is amazing. It sounds absolutely fabulous. One of the things that I love about music is the the use of music from centuries ago for storytelling because using music you know in folk songs and that sort of thing they may it made the story easier to tell and easier to hear and easier to remember and all the rest of it and and i think that that link between music science and then the language the the, the libretto is really really interesting and I think, you know, being an educator, being a piano teacher, I mean, I have the luxury of just having, you know, a decades. I've been piano teaching since I was 13 years old. And I've had decades of just being in, you know, direct um, conversations, one-on-one, -on -one, like how unique is that um, to really explore the minds of these all ages, you know, from two years old to adults and, and you know, 70-year-olds. And so I've had I've had like an audience to kind of really enjoy, you know, figuring how the mind operates, especially in, in, in the creative world of music and learning as well, the theoretical world. Because let's let's, you know, face it that there is such a mathematics driven behind the notationary world of music. It's one thing to play and perform, but then you need to learn the language, just like you need to learn the formulas in physics and chemistry. And there's all of that beautiful cognitive um, area of neuroscience that is, is it would be just extraordinary to explore. So, so yeah, so you, you've got all these like multiple layers and dimensions of, of educational inspiration to intertwine together and I think that's what I was really excited about, that here I could, you know, maybe stand as close as I could to that science world and get that science world as close to that artistic world. And, you know, boy, the, the, from what I've experienced um, with my the scientists that I've presented to over the years, and now, of course, I'm now just starting to reach the students, it's pretty exciting. Um, the... Uh, uh, the, the feedback I'm getting from the scientists is um, they really are, you're seeing their whole creative side being ignited by this theatrical platform. And, you know, having them under lights and, you know, camera and action on Friday, um, it was funny because I do a lot of piano recitals over the years and um, 
and I'm very fussy about how that's, that comes together. I do want it to be quite a theatrical experience for my students. We have rehearsals and, you know, we practice our bows and, and we, anyway, all that kind of theatre I inject into that experience. And here I was at Imperial College and I said to one of my piano students that came, I said, well, it's basically like those piano recitals I set up for you many moons ago, but this time I get to work with the scientists and the astronauts and I get to tell them what to do on stage. <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, you know, they were really good sports about it actually and, they, you know, this is the first time they were sort of positioned um, in this in this in this lens, if you like, and um, I wasn't sure how they would sort of respond and react to the um, and interact with this this idea of, but they were really great sports, and I think they really enjoyed it. They got completely mobbed on stage with questions after, and I think they enjoyed the celebrity sort of aspect to all that. <laughs> you know, the actors on stage, the scientists on stage, the moons, and it was a really joyful experience. Oh, that's absolutely fascinating, and. To get scientists performing is wonderful because there's so much about their world that is behind a screen and looking at data and all of that sort of stuff. And to be able to then come out onto a stage and talk about it, present it, is just wonderful. And I think, and I think this is why. Now, remembering, I did not set out with this. No vision it was just moons need music and emotion but I think where I mean this is this is probably where my um role as a film composer really kicked in a whole other gear when I was um finessing these moons into stories but I was not only looking at the characteristics of the moons and their particular science what and what I also have injected into this um, music in fact I'm giving a presentation at um, Imperial College tomorrow night for another outreach for um uh, for public audience for outreach adults is the fact that the actual scientists have also played a big role in the musical inspiration when those geysers were finally discovered at um moon enceladus you know there was it was quite a, a a sort of a detective story that was unfolding from the magnetometer instrument right up until the image team finally captured the the geysers emanating tens of thousands of kilometers into the night sky backlit by the sun those absolutely incredible imagery you know i've created in the in the score i call it the jaw dropping chord with that moment that the scientists you know can you imagine like the career defining moment water found in our outer solar system This seems an ideal opportunity to play a little of Enceladus rows and rows of gigantic geysers, which is the fourth movement of the Moon Symphony.
So the emotion from the scientists that I've picked up on in my own research has also equally shown up in the symphony, not just necessarily the science of the moods. There's so much going on. It's like, you know, literally <laughs> mind blown, really. And because now, now you're talking about art and photography as well. Yeah. Because it's that that how we see things is just amazing. And there have been some beautiful images of uh, of these moons and of everything that's around and about that puts us into perspective on this tiny little speck that is the earth. And I think that's, you know, where the the story of the seventh movement and so basically the synopsis, Hillary, is, and I, I've got this down to an elevator speech, um, <laughs> the synopsis of the set of this, this symphony is the first six moons is about the um, scientific data that's brought back through space probes. The seventh movement is about the emotional data brought back through the hearts of astronauts when they leave Earth's orbit and they have that perspective of looking back onto our planet, whether it's the Apollo missions or the International Space Station, there is this interconnectivity that is breathtaking, that is life-changing. And, you know, with my many conversations with um, astronaut Nicole Stardin and Helen Sharman from Imperial College, you know, they all astronauts come back failing words, words fail to try and describe that, that life-changing event. And, you know, I just, you know, I can't help but go to the adage, music takes over when words fail. And that was really my mission for the seventh moon is to charge the atmosphere with reverence or gratitude and really position that seventh story as a point for earthlings to have their own earth rise without having to leave earth's orbit use the power the persuasive the manipulative forces of this universal language called music that we all can relate to and we can all relate to our planet it's our home and that was really the big overarching themes of that seventh movement story that's brilliant well thank you so much for explaining all that can you just tell me how your lockdown was what because I, I I sense that with a lot of us, we're almost forgetting what it was like, where we were two years ago and how life has changed, how it did change. So what was your lockdown like? I mean, bearing in mind that there were several different lockdowns, but yes. that whole kind of two-year period. Well, okay. So the first, the first eight, 10 months? 10 months. Okay, here's my story. My husband would go out and do the shopping and I would be glued to my studio every single day, like 12, 14 hours a day, because what I was doing is taking the electronic score that I created from a different platform and starting from ground zero and putting that in a notation software. I was using Dorico. And so it was a enormous, enormous task, billions of decisions I was making. Now, this is when lockdown happened, okay? So months rolled by and my husband would be knowing that I was like pedal to the metal with all this, you know, finessing of this, this orchestral score um, ready for live musicians to finally perform. And he would come home and do the, and you know, he'd be doing off all the errands for me because I was chained to my um, computer. Because at this point, Hillary, I had a target date at Abbey Road Studios for December 2020 with, with Marin Olsop conducting LSO and London Symphony Orchestra 
etc. So I was literally racing the clock and I who was to know whether that would still go ahead. But I had to be ready. I had everything booked and deposits down and so I was racing the clock and, and my husband would come back from shopping and I'm like, right, okay, so are you in mask? He said, of course, because I wouldn't leave the house. <laughs> I'd be just <laughs> in my little cocoon just finishing this score and I literally did not leave the house, it seemed. I mean, maybe once in a while. but So he was like my reality check of what was going on. So the first 10 months, it was like, what COVID? You know, I was in my right. own little bubble. But then... Um, Marin Olsop and I stitch a plan to go and road test at least the orchestral parts in Vienna and that's when I started to experience my COVID which was having to navigate an aeroplane flight to Vienna and that was looking pretty scary because then it went zone red Dubai and I was just about to board the plane they're like you've got to get on but we can't guarantee you're going to get let in the other side. I mean, that was a sort of hair raising. You know, I'm like, yeah. I was ringing my husband saying, okay, I think I'm just going to take the chance and go because we, we you know, set all this up and fortunately they let me in. But, I mean, that's, you know, this is the the, the amber zones, the red zones or whatever those colours were. Yeah. So I had my own little frightful little moments there and um, obviously clearly masked up. But anyway, so that, but we managed to get a um, reading done and that was went super well. And then, of course, you know, pretty much uh, about a month later, I got the news that, uh, the inevitable news that it wasn't going to happen at Abbey Road Studios. And um, so, you know, so then I did it. My next year was really actually, you know, I, I found it as a, a, a blessing for me because it gave me breathing space to just really calmly look at the project for what it is and what it was and unpick the science and start really thinking about my outreach. And I was in a sea of words. I was in a sea of outreach words, figuring out how to repackage the story so that people could really get, I mean, you can enjoy the symphony for as it is, just music and visuals alone or whatever, or there's this massive undercurrent of information that's accessible if you want it. And that's what I really enjoyed for the second year of COVID, just calmly just enjoying all the revisiting of my science notes and, you know, putting it as, as I want it to be experienced in a symphony. Yeah. And it, it has all, it feels like it's all come together and maybe without COVID it would, well, it would certainly have been different and maybe it wouldn't have been the same, you know, as good. So, so every once in a while you, somebody talks about something creative something artistic that's happened that would not have happened if they'd been still getting on planes flying everywhere performing here there and everywhere that it gave a lot of us a breathing space and absolutely you just remind me of another massive project uh, two things i want to comment on actually first of all if we were going to have that session at um, abbey road studios i was really keen on having at least a piano reduction under my like finessed ready and I mean this is like a 42 minute symphony and there was no way that I would have had any bandwidth to do that and I wanted to do that myself I didn't want to start farming that out so COVID gave me an incredible opportunity to enjoy that piano reduction process and you know make those decisions about what you know just and just not it be such a rat race about quickly throwing it together I could mindfully enjoy the scenery and, and the experience of, of 
just, okay, now this phase of the project, how lovely is it now? I can look at my orchestra and figure out how I'm going to make that piano reduction and the choir. And so I did, I was doing that. And so I was dancing between that and the science. And um, it was just a really calm, tranquil platform. And I'm, and I'm, again, this whole project is, it's always, I've always wanted to enjoy every aspect about it. And COVID allowed that for me. So I'm really grateful for that time. Yeah. Well, and I'm really grateful because this podcast wouldn't exist without I noticed COVID. that actually that yes, it came about during your COVID experience. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's amazing and I am loving it. I and it's become so much more now than just me sitting at home talking to people. And I've spoken to some incredible, incredibly talented musicians because I've had the time because People weren't dashing about here, there and everywhere. And now I think because I've got a bit of a reputation, people are prepared to give me the time mm. when they are dashing around. So that's really amazing. Exactly. Yes. I mean, you know, for all the the nastiness and the, the yeah. grief and sadness and frustrations and boy, has it been a spiritual practice for so many of us to really step back and look at the bigger picture about time and being expansive in that time and, you know, eagles perch, looking at the situation from a different perspective. And really that's the theme of the seventh movement, you know, loud and clear. And, of course, now that we are reunited again, yet another theme that is driven home that the point's really driven home in that seventh movement. So it, the timing of the birth of all of this was, for me, extraordinary, like in terms of the themes that this, this moon symphony truly represents. Brilliant. Um, so where can people, are there, are there plans to perform this live? I would love to say yes, um, at yet no, there's no plans. And it's one of those um, really, I mean, the nice thing is, like, I feel like, you know, um, being a musician sometimes isn't for the faint-hearted. You know, <laughs> my sister pointed out to me, she's like, usually, Amanda, you know, people are like, oh, I've got to get a performance. And, like, you're just so busy doing outreach and science and, and you're, like, you're just so relaxed about it. And I truly am. Like, I, if anything this symphony has taught me, it has a life of its own. It has what I call the moon symphony clock. It does things when it wants to do. And I have enough evidence to prove that. So I'm just so perfectly relaxed and believe that when the timing's right, we'll get that world premiere somewhere on planet Earth. And I'm really not, um, i just very open and uh, receptive to when that will happen. And I know that when it does happen, it's going to be absolutely brilliant. And, and so these things take time. And I don't necessarily want it to be rushed. I want it to be an extremely powerful event it's going to require resources and financing yeah. and that takes time. Sure. And uh, so really, no, the answer to that is absolutely <laughs> no, zero. I mean, and yet when, even before I composed the music, Hillary, I had already planned, the vision was a world premiere, maybe Royal Albert Hall, maybe Walt Disney Concert Hall. They're my two biggies. Um, but I believe it's going to happen and it will. And I'm, you know, and again, it's one of those things that enjoy the scenery as Right. towards that next phase yeah. and how that all unfolds really fantastic well thank you so much amanda for joining me it was an absolute delight to talk to you thank you so much for this conversation I really appreciate it
I hope you enjoyed listening to that marvellous conversation with Amanda Lee Falkenberg. And what you're listening to now is Earth, Moon, Earth, Rise, the overview, which is the seventh movement of Amanda Lee Falkenberg's The Moon's Symphony. Thank you for joining me once more for Harmonious World.
Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and it's a great delight to bring this series of discussions with musicians and composers and writers and all sorts of people to you. Obviously, there's no point in having a podcast if people aren't listening and I'm very grateful to my listeners for doing so. Thanks also to Joe English for composing and performing this new theme tune. So wherever you get your podcast, you can leave a review. You can share this with your friends and family, either as a link or on social media and that sort of thing. I'd be really grateful for that. Don't forget that you can subscribe now. There's a link wherever you get your podcasts. So have a great week and please remember why I started this, which is just to try and make the world a little more harmonious. Thanks for listening to Harmonious World. <laughs>